So last week, uh, a large majority of our discussion ended up on the question, if you've broken one law, you've broken them all, and how does that apply? And the conclusion was, the point is that God requires perfection. So if you have broken one law, or whether you've broken four, you have already failed the test, and you're in need of God's grace and his justification and righteousness. So reading chapter 11, section 5. God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified. Even though they can never fall from a state of justification, they may fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. In that condition, they will usually not have the light of his face restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So if we are, sins are forgiven when we are justified, as it says in the first sentence, why do, does God need to continue to forgive our sins? I'm heavily depending on audience participation today. <laughs> Precisely. We are really good at sinning. We confess our sins and about 20 seconds later or less, we're already guilty of more sin, correct? Can I have someone look up Matthew 6, 12? Who's got that? Keith? 1 John 1? Caitlin? Sounds good. Matthew six twelve. So, when I read that, I had to ask, why is that verse a reference for what we're talking about here? Does anybody have an idea? What is Jesus teaching us through this verse? We have been forgiven a huge debt, Keith said, and we need to be reminded that we also need to forgive and be forgiven. Is that correct? Jesus, this is in part of the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is showing us again the reminder of our daily need for confession and forgiveness. In 1 John 1, verse, oh sorry, I'll start at verse 7, 7 straight through to 9. What does this verse warn us against? Pride. Deceitful pride. In what? Deceiving ourselves, correct? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
Do we find ourselves being deceived every now and again, thinking I did pretty good today? <laughs> Realizing, oh, maybe not. First John 1 verse 7 to 9 says, when we confess our sins, we, have the we can have the assurance of forgiveness as well because he forgives us our sins. If we think we are able to live a sinless life and never sin again, we are lying to ourselves and we are actually not in the Lord and are contradicting his word. Con con uh, telling ourselves that we have no sin, would it be too bold to say that's an abuse of grace? Got some nods. Any, ad any additional wisdom? sum up what Keith said, I'm going to try because I can't do that all, but uh, beware of conceit, thinking that we've done pretty good just because we weren't involved in the huge, the bigger immoral sins. Is that correct? But the deceit of thinking we've done pretty good when realizing it's all the little sins that also are just as, just as uh, vile and as wrong. Another, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb was just saying the importance of regular church attendance, fellowshipping with one another is part of walking in the light. And uh, the reminder that we need to rub shoulders with each other to hold ourselves accountable and to be reminded of, of our sin. Go ahead, Keeney. Keenan just saying, yeah, you expect me to repeat that now? <laughs> this is an exercise in memory here. Um, the benefit of daily confession and, well, oh, I really lost it, sorry. Right. Fighting sin isn't just for victory for ourselves, it's also for glorifying God. There we go. That's a good summary of what we said. 
Do we need to confess our sins so God knows what we did? He's not just collecting information. Oh, that's what he did today. Oh, I didn't know it was that bad. Not exactly, right? Not exactly. It's agreeing with God, absolutely. Yep. I had some notes here I wrote down that I felt really wise when I wrote them down, so I want to share them as well, but <laughs> just being honest. It's not like God doesn't know our sins. It's not knowledge he is seeking, but confession and acknowledgement that we have rebelled against him, and I think that sums it up really well. Absolutely. Peter is just sharing how sin breaks fellowship and how God wants us to come back and confess to restore that relationship and fellowship, which is jumping ahead of the game. <laughs> One, go ahead, Jeremy. point and I'm trying to summarize that now <laughs> for the sake of the recording <laughs> one question that I have not heard has anybody heard the definition of justification justification is just as if I'd never sinned has anybody heard that there's a few what do you think of that statement? Does it? Is it enough? Because he sees us through Christ's right through Christ's righteousness, right? But is that is that a solid definition of justification? Is I guess my question. What's that? You'd say it's sufficient? 
doesn't just bring us to a neutral state. I, I, I feel it falls short. It, it, it sounds uh, somewhat flippant. Oh, I'm justified. It's just as if I never did anything wrong. And you can get to the point of not acknowledging or feeling like it wasn't a big deal. And, I, and I'm going to use the analogy of offending somebody. So somebody's doing something, uh, and it's starting to really get to me, and I work this thing up in my mind, and, and whether I'm right or whether he's right is irrelevant. By the time we get together, I unload and I tear a strip off of him and walk away. And then the Holy Spirit comes back and says, it's actually you that's wrong. So I go back and apologize. And the guy says, don't worry about it. Am I truly forgiven if the answer is just don't worry about it? Is that, is that actually dealt with? Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. But we, we need to feel the depth of our misery. But what about the, when somebody comes to us and apologizes? What do we need to do for them? We need to extend forgiveness, Val said. It's very different if, if the person says to you, don't worry about it, and then shuts down conversation, opposed to the person saying, looking you straight in the eye and saying, yes, I was deeply hurt, but I forgive you. That hits completely different. And when we say justification is just as I never sinned, to me I'm feeling like we're saying, God's just saying, oh, don't worry about it. And I think the reality is God says, yes, you do need to worry about it. And yes, you were wrong. But then he looks at us and says, you are justified because through Christ, your sin is on me and my, just, my righteousness is on you. And I think that is the real meaning of justification. I like to borrow the definition from Chuck Swindoll. And I'm going to read this paragraph. It's kind of based on Romans 3, 21 to 26 as well. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In verse 24 of Romans 3, please take note of the term justified. It does not simply mean as just as if I'd never sinned, as some have suggested. That doesn't go far enough. Neither does it mean that God makes me righteous so that I never sin again. It means to be declared righteous. Justification, and this is, I want to write this one down. Justification is the sovereign act of God whereby he declares righteous the believing sinner while he or she is still in his or, his or her sinning state. He sees us in our need, hopelessly lost, unable to escape from the swamp of our sin. He sees us looking to Jesus Christ and trusting him completely by faith to cleanse us from our sins. And though we come to him with all of our needs and in all of our darkness, God says to us, 
declared righteous, forgiven, pardoned because of us? No way. Because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf when he paid for our sin. I like that. I like that description. It adds so much more. Let's uh, go on to the second part of this. God forgives us, continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified, even though they can never fall from a state of justification. And who will take John ten twenty eight? Nathan. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. For those of you that come from a similar background to mine, where we could we imagine God standing at a chalkboard of the book of eternal life, and when we did good, he wrote our name down, and when we did too much sin, he wiped it off, and then our salvation was coming and going. That's a Mark Lowry theology. Maybe that's not quite accurate, but <laughs> you get the picture. We're not secure if we sin too much. Why is eternal security, why is the idea that God once we are justified, why is that so terrifying for us? What makes us so uncomfortable for us is what I'm asking. Or am I the only one? You can say that too. <laughs> Lisa? Say that again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, daily justification. Okay. Well, right. But that would tie back to our first point, right? The need for a continual confession. Even though we're justified once, we do need to keep confessing our sins. Does that make sense? Caleb? Right. Well said, well said. Our sanctification is proof of our justification. Right. We're, we're Yes. So it's a misunderstanding of the statement once saved, always saved, and a misuse of it, right? Because, as you said, technically it is true, but we abuse it, or there's a tendency to abuse that 
thinking we we confessed once and we're good forever. Whereas, as Caleb again pointed out, sanctification, our daily confession, is proof of our justification. Our daily confession is proof that once we're saved, we're saved. But we need to keep confessing our sins as well. Any other comments? Any wisdom out there? Jeremy and then Ron. Good. Ron? Right. Ron is saying the, the climb isn't a steady graph moving upward. There are dips and valleys where we are justified and yet we don't feel very sanctified. Is that what you're saying? Very true. Very true. I sometimes wonder, and maybe it's my own thinking, maybe my own way, I, the way I think. I think it makes us uncomfortable to say that, um, we'll, that we, we can't lose our salvation. Partially because we feel like somehow we still have the power to walk away. But I think part of it is also the fear of abusing grace then, as Caleb pointed out, once saved, also saved, I can do what I want, and people are going to take it and run with it. But I would almost argue that if that's your position, you maybe aren't as justified as you think. If that's your attitude, you're not working out of your salvation, you're working for your salvation, and you think you still have the right to come and go as you want. I think it's it's a perception of the heart. Moving on. They may fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. Psalm 89, 31 to 33. Who can take that? Margaret, go ahead. How often do we know when we've done something wrong and we know that dad's not very impressed? I'm, I'm using an earthly scale here right now. <laughs> I'm not calling God dad, but that breaks fellowship, as Peter pointed out before. 
Keenan, can I use you as an example? I didn't ask for permission sooner. What's that? No. Okay. Years ago, Keenan was about that tall. We had a burgundy Montana van, and I had washed it, and it was clean, and it was standing outside on the driveway. Sun is shining, and he's playing outside. And Val looks outside, and Keenan is drawing with a piece of limestone on the side of our van. Some of you may have picked up I'm a little bit too fussy about my vehicles. But anyway, he made a very nice squiggly lines all the way front to back. And Val was home. I wasn't. Probably a good thing. She just went outside and said, stop that. In, in short, I'll just summarize. <laughs> and said, wait till Dad gets home. <laughs> and Keenan knew he had done wrong. He was the most miserable kid you've ever seen. Until I got home. And I'm like, that's not pretty. Let's hope it buffs out. <laughs> but I needed to deal with Keenan for his sake as much as for mine. And the line that it hurts me more than you has never been more true. Because my anger against him was long gone. And now I still needed to spank him so that he knew he was. But once it was done, the relationship, the fellowship was restored. He was a happy kid. And I was a happy dad as I buffed out the scratch. That's a good picture of what happens when we sin against God. Go ahead, Bob. He knew the sin had been atoned for. Both. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm waffling, you know, he was forgiven, but he also needed to, to feel his forgiveness. Right. Right. Margaret just said, as, as the verse says there, his, uh, he was punished, he was forgiven, but my love was not removed from him, just like God's love is not removed from us when we sin. Very good, good point, important point. Go ahead, Caleb. Caleb just pointed out the need, the importance of humbling ourselves. I'm trying to find the verse. To have our humbling and confessing to have our relationship restored. 
that condition, I believe. In that condition, they will not usually have the light of his face restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Now we have quite a few passages here. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 5. Sorry, I'm not focusing on my microphone here. Somebody take that. Psalm 32, verse 5. Ray? Psalm 51. Caleb? And Matthew 26, 75. Ray? Uh, Jesse? Junior, right? <laughs> Psalm 32, verse 5, when you got it. Psalm 51. Read the whole thing, yep. <laughs> you should almost come up and do it at the microphone. You good with that? No? Okay, go ahead. Just shout. <laughs> Twenty six seventy five. So as Matt has pointed out many times in the last couple of weeks, if David had died in his sin with Bathsheba, he was still saved. But was his relationship, was his fellowship with God in a good position? Not at all. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 were written in response to his position there. And he says, Lord, I confess. Create in me a clean heart. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The bones you have broken. I always wondered, what is that actually describing? It's the frame of his body is carrying the weight and it makes him weak. It makes him sick within. It's like an internal rot that is decaying in his being. And everything is, his joy is gone, his peace is gone. He can't even function well. Even in physically, you start to not function well 
with unconfessed sin. If I could be that bold. And yet, you read David confessing that. Adultery and murder, what we consider the worst. And God forgives him. And we get to Matthew, and it reads, God, Jesus, restored Peter. He restored Peter for denying him. That's pretty incredible. Dwell on that this week. These men were justified. They were forgiven. And it was restored when they confessed. And that's all for us as well. And God then uses us to continue building his kingdom. I think we'll draw to a close right there. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We all know that within our hearts, we sin regularly, continually. But to know that your grace is sufficient you have called us, you have made us your own. And you are faithful and just that when we confess, no matter what we've done, when we confess, we are forgiven and we are invited to come back into fellowship with you. Thank you sounds so cheap, but Lord, thank you for all you've done. Strengthen us to continue on, pressing on, and drawing near to you. Thank you for this time together. I pray for your blessing upon the service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoy your coffee.